This is John Stepling. This is Aesthetic Resistance, podcast number 63. Uh, in Sweden with me, Johan Edebo. Good afternoon. In India, New Delhi, Varun Mathur. Hi, John. Uh, in uh, Toronto, Corey Morningstar. Hi, Corey. And Hiroyuki Hamada in Long Island. Hi, John. Okay, Corey, I didn't hear you say anything. Are you there? Here, can you not hear me? I didn't. I didn't before, but okay. This just we're gonna just keep going, you know. Um, <clears throat> okay, I can hear all of you now. I think. Um, so it's been two weeks since we were last chatting, and the main story, of course, is uh, is Ukraine, Russia, and that narrative has uh the the media story has has become more firmly entrenched it seems uh and and the 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 west certainly north america the uk much of europe is steadfastly uh pro-nato it seems and and i you know this is one of the questions is is clocking the the level of resistance to the the prevailing narrative and i i don't know how to gauge that honestly uh because social media has become such a mm. i my sense is that it is so profoundly distorting um mm. a, a, the platforms are are so uh prone to manipulation and so forth that it's that it's really impossible to and and I think this is a this is a topic is the 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 reliability of any kind of um, assessment one makes about uh, uh, public opinion on any of these things. I don't. I see on social media endless Ukrainian flags, endless anti-Putin sentiments, accusations, anti-Russian. We see all the stuff happening. Chess grandmasters banned, uh, paintings at the National Gallery uh, in London, uh, titles changed from Russian dancers to Ukrainian dancers. Uh, you know, the first Soviet astronaut's name has been erased from most things in the West. Uh, you know, yogurt labels are changed on and on and on and on. That's happening, but I, I don't know uh, in general if this is if this is is being accepted at face value or not so anyway i turn it all over to somebody else here uh so John, i'm just, just sorry look, okay you go i'm just looking at a justin trudeau tweet from um april 6 so what's that four days ago and it's actually he's tweeting a global oh it's in that group on um, global citizen campaign stand up for Ukraine. Um, Global Citizens started and funded by the Gates Foundation and the World Bank. Um, anyway, it says, see how you can stand up for Ukraine, blah, blah, Russians, Russia's invasion, invasion of Ukraine. But it only has um, 222 retweets, a thousand likes, not very many for a prime minister, um, right? Yeah, no, that's like almost nothing. So that's just, um, just interesting. Um, when you get a chance, I, I want to read a little bit from the latest in Ontario on COVID. 
Mm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> let's do that. I, I wanted to note, I mean, one of the other like most amusing uh, bits of, of like, I don't know um, what you want to call it, propaganda, I guess, was the, there was a headline uh, and I'm just scrolling to find what exactly it was. And this was in Bloomberg or, or someplace. Um, and it has a picture of traffic and so forth. It says ban European flights and car use mm -hmm. in cities to hurt Putin. <laughs> uh, you know, this is the level at which this stuff seems to be taking place now. I mean, uh, but but there's something ominous in that as well, of course. It's this anti-travel, anti-movement thing. And then we have the lockdowns in Shanghai, which may or may not be, you know, even remotely connected to a health issue. Uh, I don't know what to make of, of a lot of this. And certainly, uh, uh, I think Klaus Schwab the other day even issued a pro-Ukrainian comment in, in some kind of interview. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it seems like um, everything that began two years ago is, is, is coalescing into a big um, a big push, the next phase of this of this great reset or whatever it is, imprisonment of humanity. Um, anyway, I interrupted you, Corey. Go on. That's okay. Um, so this article is from three days ago, CBC News. Um, it's an article on actually how to tell if you have COVID or a cold. <laughs> um, so a whole article on that. And you can't know for sure. You have to do a test. There's no way of knowing. And then it goes on to say that a lot of people, many people who have COVID infection feel almost nothing or very mild symptoms, feel almost nothing. Um, it goes on how you have to test and you should actually test if you're feeling symptomatic every single day to know if you have it. This is during the rollout of the fourth um, booster, which apparently people over 60, um, it's available people over 60 and apparently everywhere they're giving it, people are lined up in droves to, to get this fourth boost. Um, anyway, it goes on, it's quite a lengthy article on CBC and it, it goes on, where is it? Oh, I don't know anyone with the flu. Is it still around? Influenza rates remain low for this time of year um, in fact, there's been no evidence of community circulation of influenza during the entire 21 to 22 season. Um, despite doing numbers of, um, despite doing similar numbers, a lot of tests for flu, the test rate is exceptionally low across Canada at 0.13% compared to an average of 23% for the same period in the past um, six pre-pandemic seasons. This flu season, which began August 29, 2021, has seen just 551 influenza detections recorded compared to an average of 38,193 <laughs> by this point in the past six pre-pandemic flu seasons. So that's just all insane, and obviously, and then it just goes on to say, if you can test every single day and prove that you have um, and get a positive COVID test, and you may have to test a few times to get that positive test. If you can get the positive, then you can hopefully access um, 
new medications, including Fauci's, what is it? I've lost my place in the article, but the REMS, what's it called? Remsidir? Yeah, including that one. Now you can't, you can get, have access to that too. You can get tested positive. So anyway, it's quite incredible. that. That's amazing. I mean, I, uh, I don't know what I want to hear from everyone else about this too. I, there's, there are virtually no masks anymore in Norway. Um, and as a topic, it's pretty much gone. The, the media now covers uh, Ukraine, Russia uh, <clears throat> with, with very almost zero attention to COVID anymore, but they are rabidly pro-NATO and uh, they have just okayed the Norwegian government, the building of an American airbase, American stroke NATO airbase up on this remote, pristine, beautiful island in the north. So that will be destroyed. Um, but very little about COVID. Johan. Yeah, precisely. There, there's nothing about COVID anymore. And the, the shift, the, the radical shift in the narrative is, I mean, people are I think, noticing that it's, it's astonishing how we can go from from this hyper focus of, of two years and and then nothing and a full pivot to the Ukraine situation. Also on, on topic, I'd like to, to raise the uh, the issue of China and the lockdowns there. Apparently, China has a, an eighty five percent vaccination coverage. They say, and now they have the, the biggest COVID out, outbreak since the beginning of 2020. And they're, they're closing these, uh, these port cities, Shanghai, uh, and I think a few others. <clears throat> and in, in the situation we are, I mean, we have this, this huge inflationary pressure, especially on, on commodity prices, particularly because of the 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 war and the, the sanctions, you know, that drive up energy prices, which also push up every every sort of commodity prices. So I, I read just yesterday that uh, we're in this uh, situation of inflation that we haven't seen for basically 100 years. And the real disposable income in the West has been in recession uh, for, for the last seven months. Uh, according to the real disposable incomes, we have been in recession. So, uh, I mean, how are how are commodity prices looking at your in your supermarkets? Well, here they're shockingly high, staggering uh, increases in food prices um, to, to, to levels I didn't think imaginable a couple of years ago. I mean, prices for certain things have tripled. Um, gas, as I've noted before, has doubled and it's creeping even higher. Uh, but food prices are... are um, are very problematic and people are actually talking about that now because it's affecting even very affluent families if you have children you know i have three kids uh and keeping them fed now is, is taking all my money and there's no money for anything else virtually um because they they've spiked dramatically and there are food shortages certain items are not available shelves are empty everywhere uh varun yeah, the, I think just a few days ago, the entire cabinet of the Sri Lankan government resigned because of inflation and rising unrest in the country. And the administration, the prime minister and the president have, are now being consulted by the International Monetary Foundation for more loans. 
Um, yeah. And in, like the inflation in this, uh, well, at least in India, has it is a constant curve up now for the last six months, six eight months. But also, I think all of this becomes part of the plan, the live exercise, so to speak, which is supposed to go on to 2024. And so that all the measures that the World Economic Forum wants to put into place can be put into place. All of these moving pieces, I think, are fitting very nicely into the agenda of um, no access to money, food shortage, civil unrest. All of that was kind of, I don't know, man, it was called conspiracy theory two years ago, but it's all happening now. Right, right. Um, <clears throat> Hiroyuki, what's it like in, in the States? I think the prices are rising and uh, 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 people continue. Uh, I mean, people are angry. You know, you, you, you see uh, 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 people shouting at a parking lot, uh, supermarket, uh, whatever. Uh, and uh, you can feel uh, the frustration, uh, defensiveness uh, on many grounds and... Uh, um and um <clears throat> and i guess the uh we do have the uh 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 the overwhelming uh, uh media uh coverage of the uh, ukraine situation and um uh, yeah, people want to side with the uh the good side uh, uh, especially, I guess, w when you're frustrated, angry, uh, you want things to b blame and uh, you, you want something to rely on to be good, making sure that you're not the bad, bad one. And uh, uh, so I guess um, uh, very uncomfortable. And uh, the COVID situation is um, subsiding uh, on many regards. People are not wearing masks, but we still see some here and there. And uh, uh, you, you go to uh, stores, uh, some of them uh, still requires, and uh, in particular, you, you go to uh, art institutions, uh, museums, and things like that, uh, some of them do require uh, uh, <laughs> very, amazing. very um, uh, emphatically, uh, some of them require vaccination when the state, New York State, is not uh, enforcing it anymore, and... Uh, so you feel this institutional um, uh, power uh, siding with the uh, capital and uh, uh, moving things around. And, uh, and this internet thing is interesting. Uh, John, you mentioned about this article. Uh, I forgot the title and the author, <laughs> but uh, maybe you can link it. Um, so basically, it's, it's, I just started to read, but uh, <clears throat> it's talking about uh, the fact that the uh, the whole internet scape is uh, the, the product of the uh, uh, the U.S. empire, uh, the, uh, uh, the right. various agencies and uh, NGOs and the corporations have uh, collaborated in creating this whole. Um, scheme to centralize and um, uh, uh, make things um, uh, under control of the uh, um, the power and uh, it so so what we are observing on the internet the uh, uh, the, the crazy um, uh, arguments crazy uh, witch hunting crazy um, um, you know, the divisions and uh, all those things, uh, we, we can safely say that it is the product of 
decades, generations of the uh, efforts of the um, U.S. empire um, right. created the situation, um, and we observe it. We are seeing uh, what it is, and we are the part of what it is. If they want to see what's going on with people, they can just uh, look at what people are saying and uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. like like what we are doing right now. So it's, um, you know, um, uh, I, I, I remember writing an uh, article about uh, this kind of, um, I was basically saying that uh, this is what it is. It's being created as, um, the artificial sphere that's manageable, but at the same time, we do have the network like this. We have a network, a global network, <clears throat> that we talk about things and we analyze things and we put things in the right context so that we can see what it is. And that's true as well, you know, but, but the whole, you know, overall effect is um, working for them, uh, uh, you know, but, but at the same time, it's interesting that every time something change, something happens, you know, the, the, the seed of the change doesn't have to be big. Um, and we do have the seed in this thing. Uh, we're talking about what we are talking about. So I don't know. It's, yeah, no, I, there's a couple of points you, you just mentioned that that I want to comment on. But Corey, you wanted to say something, I know. So I, I do think so much of this is um, experimental. I mean, even at the beginning in the COVID, the World Economic Forum came out with an article, you know, announcing that the lockdowns would be the um, greatest experiment ever conducted on the human race. Right. right? So anyway, well, right. before we went on air, um, when we all logged into zoom we were talking about sort of the um shanghai right and what was going on and and someone mentioned it being an experiment and i wanted to mention the wall street journal actually on march 28th does an article and they actually refer to it as an experiment shanghai begins as officials race to clear covid19 and then if you just juxtapose the Omicron with what I just read from CBC, how most people have mild to no symptoms and, you, you know, how to tell if you even have it or whether right. you have a cold, right? Um, right? So it's just so crazy. And then if you scroll down, they have a couple of other articles. One's um, Shanghai extends lockdowns the city tests test 25 million residents for COVID. Like why bother? Why, why test them? So what you test positive, then what? Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, what, so what? And then another one, Shanghai has recorded more than 130,000 COVID cases and no deaths, no deaths. So <laughs> no, it's funny, you know, um, but see, I think it's normalizing the idea. Like if you can't tell that you're sick, the only way you can determine if you're sick is if an expert tells you you're sick, right? So everyone's a machine or an expert tells you you're sick. So, so um, it's normalizing that idea that, that, that what you feel and know your subjectivity is meaningless, right? It's, it's, it's granted. Everyone, everyone should be, be perceived as a threat. And that, yeah. And that, well, it's interesting. 
I mean, I, there are these, these kind of markers in, in my little personal universe for um, <clears throat> gauging public opinion and stuff. And because I'm a basketball fan and I read, I read about the NBA a lot and so forth. Um, sports journalists, because there have been two players this year who refused to get vaccinated in the National Basketball Association, the most prominent being Kyrie Irving, um, who interestingly is of Aboriginal descent uh, from Australia, and um, he never got vaccinated. So he can't play in Canada when they go to visit the Toronto Raptors. He doesn't make the trip because Canada won't let him in the country. And now <clears throat> there's a second player for Philadelphia who who um, won't answer the question if he's vaccinated or not. But clearly he's not and he won't go. Um, but the, but the journalists all there's a uniform um, chastising of Irving. A con well, you're letting your you're letting your teammates down. You're letting um, your fans down. This is what's wrong with you. You nobody has stood up for him, not a single voice that I have heard in media, in corporate, you know, and semi corporate media um, has supported that decision. It's just, you know, it's just a given that 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 is an act of irrationality, not wanting to be vaccinated, notwithstanding all these athlete deaths. You know, it's very strange. Um, Johan and then Hiroyuki. Yeah, on this scapegoating issue, uh, I mean, I, I would guess that the, the, this real-life economic fallout you see will be will be blamed on blamed on Russia and to some extent on COVID and secondarily then on on collaborators and tra traders such as such as you and I. But I, I was wondering about the situation in in India, if. Uh, if uh, I mean, if Russia is the bad guy there in relation to the economic situation to some extent already, or is COVID being blamed for, for what's going on? Something funny is happening now because, um, well, since, since 1991, when the economy was liberalized, we have largely as a country been very pro-American policy. And of late in the last few weeks after this Ukrainian crisis has started, the Ukrainian-Russian crisis started, I'm hearing now starting a lot of um, anti-NATO stances. Now, that's very interesting to notice because India has been supportive of Russia in the last few weeks, considering that we want to make a deal for gas and so on and so forth. But what I, the other thing that's going on is that a lot of international human rights agencies, as well as the UN and the US administrations, have issued warnings to the Indian administration in the Indian government about violence and murder against minorities. So now that narrative is now starting to form and fructify a lot more that started about, I think, six or seven years ago of demonizing the country and destabilizing the region as a whole. And I think the, the Sri Lankan crisis and as well as now what has happened in Pakistan, it all goes hand in hand. Yeah, there was a yeah. confidence motion against Imran Khan because he chose to sign a deal with Russia for gas. And immediately there's been a no confidence motion and he's been, he's been dethroned, so to speak. So yeah. I think all of that is going hand in hand and completely kind of destabilizing the Asian region permanently. And there's a lot of seeding of violence along with all the, with the socioeconomic problems. Of course, there's a lot of seeding of violence, which is 
meted out by right-wing groups against Muslims and Christians and Dalits in India. That's been occurring at an incremental rate now. It's interesting. Um, you know, I wanted to say that that um, that the article which Hiroyuki was referring to on the, the military origins of the internet, um, which I will provide a link for, and, and I, I quote from it actually in a, a coming blog post, but uh, it was it was in the 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 desire the military the pentagon cia desire for you know what they call total information awareness was was intensified enormously after vietnam uh because prior to that there was you know a, a consortium of of major Western universities, American universities, academia with the CIA and Pentagon into this research <clears throat> um, that, that was primarily really about surveillance. And after Vietnam, there was a kind of blowback and some of the, some of the universities backed off and asked to be, <clears throat> um, to not participate in this research, not be part of the consortium. Uh, and that's when, uh, they turned the Pentagon CIA turned to private funding. And, and it was in a sense, the beginning of think tanks. Um, the Rand Corporation was perhaps the first. And uh, the goal, the stated goal at the time was to, to, to create an early warning system to pick out dissidents, to spot um, dissident social movements before they even formed. So it's in Minority Report. It's Philip K. Dick stuff again, um, pre-policing of of the population to spot um, potential, you know, trouble areas, uh, potential um, areas of social unrest. That was that was the stated goal, and I think it's interesting because uh, that hasn't gone away. There is this. There is this now. It's of course more global when you when you when you factor in, you know, the World Economic Forum, and and the UN and all of these partnerships that are formed and all the various NGOs. Uh, there is there is a, a grand kind of chess game strategy emerging to to spot potential social unrest and to squash it, but it also may be to foment social unrest in certain places, the better to, um, to eliminate uh, criticism when it's squashed. Uh, fomenting violence among the underclass is probably a, a pretty old tactic, I think. Anyway, Hiroyuki. I just wanted to uh, 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 kind of uh, uh, point out that the, uh, the situation in Shanghai is uh, definitely uh, related to uh, what's going on in Ukraine and um, um, all the other things. That's what I feel. Um, I don't exactly know how uh, things fit together, but um, uh, for example, we, we have a situation in uh, uh, southwestern islands of Japan. Uh, they, they've been uh, fortifying the uh, islands. Uh, uh, it's a joint project of the uh, US military and 
the Japanese military. Uh, they call it defense force, but it's a military. And um, um, and with this uh, Ukraine event, Ukrainian event, uh, the Japanese government is uh, pushing the uh, uh, the argument that we're gonna have to do something about threats as well. You know, we could be another Ukraine, and uh, uh, of course, you know, it doesn't make any sense at all. Um, uh, if you look at the, uh, the, the, the trajectories of the uh, historical path, but at the same time, the, the, I mean, you know, the, 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 those islands are being fortified and uh, it's you basically they are using it as a decoy to invite China uh, and Japan to have this little uh, military conflict, basically, and turn the place into war zone. I mean, because they can't drop bombs on Shanghai or Tokyo, so they would drop bombs on those islands that are decimated during World War II. A lot of people suffered, a lot of people died uh, uh, by both their hands of the Japanese empire and the US empire. And they're gonna be uh, putting those people under the bus again, and nobody is talking about it. And the situation do parallel the situation uh, we see in Ukraine. Uh, anything like something like this could happen uh, in that area on, or the uh, other areas um, people have been talking about um, around China. So uh, it's, it's, I think it's very important to see what China does within the, uh, this imperial co uh, mm -hmm. context and um, um, see it that way because, it, it, you know, we can't equate uh, what they do with uh, what the U.S. government is doing, and say that um, well, China's doing this and that. Uh, you know, the U.S. is going to be start doing that again. Right. And you know, <clears throat> it's the same picture we've been seeing over and over. Like um, uh, the people would say that the U.S. is you know uh, doing horrible things in the Middle East, and uh, they would say, well, the Russians are bombing too, uh, Syrian right. government right. is bombing, you know. Right. But of course, those are not the same thing because they are protecting their homeland and, um, you know, so. Right. Well, no, look, the, 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 the thing that's, that's remarkable, just as a sort of sidebar here, I don't want to change the topic exactly, um, because, I, because I think there's something very interesting in, um, in, in dissecting, kind of unpacking the, the, the evolution of, of internet use, social media, and so forth. But, um, you know, the, the, what's absent from the narrative to a kind of remarkable degree, the, the Russia-Ukraine narrative, what is missing is that the U.S. orchestrated a coup in 2014. Mm -hmm. I mean, nobody talks about this in mainstream media. This was a bloody coup. Russians were burned alive on the streets, roving gangs, the Azov Battalion, the right sector, and so forth. All of these Gestapo-like thugs uh, participated in this. The snipers were clearly from the Azov Battalion and so forth. Mearsheimer has talked about the late Stephen Cohn wrote about it in a remarkable article in The Nation in 2014. Uh, the other thing is that Donbass has been shelled for seven years, 14,000 civilians died. When that topic comes up, and I mean it rarely comes up, 
I have heard people say, I think, I think it was Russians shelling the people in Donbass to create this conflict so they could invade because, because Putin's a crazy imperialist and he wants to be Peter the Great and so forth. Um, it, you know, but, but largely those topics are forgotten. And this is being um, presented as an unprovoked Russian aggression uh, for no particular reason, apparently. And of course, NATO is depicted as uh, a protector of the democratic West. Uh, and absent, of course, again, as Johan pointed out before, is the extraordinary famine in Congo, in Ethiopia amid sort of multiple civil conflicts, the, the refugee crisis of, in Afghanistan, um, which is affecting Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, um, what's the other stand? I can't think of it. All the stands are being affected, but Kazakhstan is the main entry point for, for Afghan refugees. Um, and you are seeing right-wing governments in Europe, Orban in Hungary, uh, uh, the, the fascist that runs Italy now, what's his name, Draghi. Uh, there was an interview with the former defense minister of Denmark the other day, um, Fogg, Rasmussen Fogg, uh, where he was advocating nuclear war. I mean, on the air, essentially saying nuclear war, that we may, we may get to that, you know, and nobody objected. The interviewer didn't say anything like, you're fucking nuts. You know, nobody said anything. Danish media didn't say anything. So it's a, it's a very strange, uh, it's a very strange push toward uh, um, that, that is, that is somehow legitimizing this crazy neocon uh, regime change scenario for Putin and Russia. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's insane. And yet that is what has, has traction uh, for the public right now. Okay. Um, who wanted to say something, Corey? I would just add to that. I mean, sort of what Varun was saying earlier, how all of these things um, nicely supply the framing and narrative to be able to implement these different things. For instance, the metaverse. There's a World Economic Forum saying that by 2026, I think it is, um, 30% of humans on earth will be spending an hour a day in the metaverse. What will we be doing there? Right? And then <laughs> yeah. all, all the stuff we'll be doing, buying digital land and um, all the, you know, all the concerts and social entertainment on there, the digital currency, um, you know, people wearing these headsets, spending their life in the metaverse anyway. So, so it opens up the means, right, to sort of get there. If everyone's a threat, if everyone's um, diseased, um, right now there's a, another um, in Canada all over avian flu. The the bird flu is being um, it, it's being reported all over Canada. Huge outbreak, right? All these things lend even the energy crisis now that opens up the opportunity for to advance um, biofuels, right? The nuclear, mm -hmm. open up the opportunity, smart city, um, all the, the funding, right? Like I was even reading a magazine on the, uh, yesterday, uh, a UA member magazine, um, and it talks about the union members 
um, creating these washing stations in the states for Navajo nations. And it says how um, 40% Navajo nation residents, an estimated 70,000 people live without running water. So imagine that that's in the United States. Um, we have the same thing in Canada as we're actually funneling now billions and billions of dollars to, um, you know, Nazi regime. So right, right. we live on stolen land and the people we stole it from don't have running water. And even the water they have is um, 26 times um, higher um, contamination rates, you know, um, threats than everybody else. And so it's just incredible, you know, and here we have not only bread now, a loaf of bread, the average is, you know, for shitty white bread, um, an average loaf of bread is around five bucks now, which is unbelievable. Jesus Christ, yeah. And, and yeah, and, and homeless people everywhere, downtown's gutted, everything boarded up, and we're actually paying, I mean, that's the ironic part of all of this, that we're paying for all of this. Right. We're paying for all this new infrastructure. We're paying for, um, you know, Canada's getting how many more um, fighter jets from Lockheed Martin, another huge contract, billions of dollars, Ukraine, billions. What was it? over a billion dollars a day spent on um, COVID right in Canada as people literally live and die on the street. Yeah. Well, it's right. interesting, just as a sidebar, and then I want to, Johan and Hiroyuki, I, I just want to note that what happened to the climate narrative, yeah. you know, what that, I thought we were going to see this intense, um, uh, you know, emergency, climate emergency being uh, foregrounded by, but it has not, there's been nothing. It's actually being kind of forgotten. Um, it, it pales the power that can, the traction to be gained from the pandemic narrative, yeah. makes climate narrative so weak, right? Why even bother with that? Yeah, it just doesn't seem sexy anymore, you know. Um, and the fact that here we are in 2022 and there nothing is underwater. Coastal cities are not underwater. Nothing has changed. Water has not risen particularly. There's none of this stuff has panned out. So I think it has lost a certain amount of. Um, effectivity uh johan and then hero yuki yeah just just on what you just uh, said i mean in my view i i think a lot of the seeded narratives could have been used to to like uh, release all this this uh, this manic compensatory energy uh harnessed or, or at least charged up by the the lockdowns and the emergency i mean i think we could have gone the way of climate change instead of COVID as a kind of after, you know, changing the subject, hate week kind of thing. But but now the war happened to be a more uh, like, uh, well, it was an opportunity that, that the, the propaganda machinery could could make good use of. And you right. spoke earlier of the, I said something about how social media is useless to gauge actual public opinion. I mean, it's the same mechanism for how it, uh, how it, certain aspects of reality are invisible such as uh, this Corey just mentioned and i i would i mean i, I would say that the the social media bubbles in in concert with the mainstream media they can so easily create this false image of a certain consensus and and where we're just a, a few numbers of narratives are tolerated and i would say like like 95 percent of my personal acquaintances are are basically also fans and dissent is not really tolerated at no, all no 
no. Well, it's like we're already living in the metaverse. Hmm. You know, I mean, it's we live in the metaverse precursor in a sense. And and um, on one level, they don't need the metaverse. They already have the metaverse. Uh, you know, Ukraine doesn't need to join NATO. It's already in NATO. Hmm. You know, it's 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 a de facto member of NATO. Hiroyuki? The climate thing uh, is sort of uh, uh, sort of subsiding, but at the same time, uh, it, I think it's coming to be obvious that the, uh, uh, the, the, the um, those countries that are demonized, uh, the Russia and uh, uh, Iraq, uh, Iran and uh, Venezuela, uh, they, they are the uh, energy producing countries. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, so the whole momentum of the, uh, the green capitalism has probably something to do with the fact that they want to stay away from those um, uh, relying on those uh, energy sources. And uh, this is uh, kind of manifesting in, uh, in the current situation. Um, and this is uh, interesting. Like, like there, there was an uh, article about uh, just a picture of uh, one of the European countries having this sign in a supermarket um, uh, saying that things are so expensive, uh, the, and it says hey, you, you uh, blame uh, Putin or now what was that? Um, uh, <laughs> glory to Ukraine, or something like that. Um, you know, it, it's yeah. so obvious uh, the, the how the, the the whole thing is coming together, uh, the imperial narrative and this uh the green capitalism and uh, uh anti-russia and uh, all those things um you yeah, know there, for sure and and i varun i want to but you know the, there's another there's another kind of secondary sidebar even we there was an article about about the toxicity of wind turbines because they use this magnet and the magnet uses rare earth minerals that are almost exclusively found in China. Mm. And so there's the wind energy industry is extraordinarily um, dependent on China. Uh, not, but additionally, the mining of these particular minerals used in this magnet are incredibly toxic, environmentally destructive. I mean, horribly so apparently. And uh, it is it is one of the you know, steps of dilemmas of of green capital is that it is very decidedly not green most of the time. Uh, Varun and then Corey. Yeah, I just wanted to add that there's there's been uh, I've met quite a lot of people who are part of these small boutique liaisoning firms that are working with the Indian government on climate resiliency and they are very deeply embedded, just like the Gates Foundation is deeply embedded in nutrition and health in India, working very closely with the government. It's like a revolving door between these organizations and the government. And they are, they've been um, consulting the government on what kind of policies to implement. And one of, the, one of the fallouts of that has been that any car or bike or trans vehicle that's 10, more than 10 years old has to be scrapped or sold in a place like Delhi. Wow. So if you... And you have to buy a new one. And there is no getting around that now. So there are, and, and 
funnily enough, like the resiliency programs are targeting very poor rural regions on how to change cropping patterns and planting cycles and, and things like that, instead of actually stopping these vastly destructive, massively industrialized production processes that are owned by conglomerates. So right. that's right. It's just a mess, to be honest. Um, amazing. Uh, but Corey? Well, I was just thinking about the climate narrative versus the um, pandemic narrative, right? And how we see sort of climate taking a backseat to everything else and not being an issue and more, you know, and all this um, added um, expenditures and the fighter jets and everything, the contracts for lethal weapons, you know, people don't really have an issue with it, even though that's the number one driver of climate change. And I was just thinking how the climate change narrative didn't actually give people like beyond sharing you know, Greta Thunberg um, memes on your social media, you didn't have the opportunity to actually wear your um, lifestyle brand. Like now with the pandemic, you actually wear your lifestyle brand out for others to see. You wear your mask out, right? Um, you social yeah. distance in public. You're able to display your lifestyle brand, right? Not just um, on social media, but in real life when you go out. And I think a lot what I've seen here, um, the, these things have stuck at coffee at cafes, even though the restrictions have been lifted, at least for now. People, so many people, at least half, are still wearing their masks, they're still distancing in line. Um, all these things have, the, people are maintaining them themselves. They're not being told to do it. They're willingly doing it. And by doing that, they're showing, you know, you know look at me, I don't have to be told to keep others safe, I will do that on my own. And a lot of them are abused are in their 20s, people that have zero risk of dying from COVID, right? Like literally um, out of 38 million people in Canada, I think less than 200 in that age group have died with COVID. So they have no risk and they're doing all these things. And when you think about that age, teenager, youth, you're really struggling to find your identity, right? Yeah, like that's what yeah. you're in those in those years and this has given people an identity to mm -hmm. attach with right yeah. absolutely yeah i think this is a, is a profound mm -hmm. part of it and, a, and an enormous topic uh johan yeah i think that's an important observation because yeah for, for all the reasons you said there is no you can't really display your your um, your group uh, participation in, in public in the same way with the climate change. Although, I mean, the, this climate change narrative, it, it brought about what I think is like the worst piece of art ever devised by some Swedish middle-aged woman who recorded a song honoring Greta. I think that has to be with <laughs> something at least. It was, yeah. <laughs> so I, I have a, a response to, to Hiroyuki on the China issue. If uh, if you want to go back to that for just yeah, a yeah. minute, I think this is important to, to mention. I mean, you, you all have read about how, how Russia has pegged the ruble to gold uh, and how this factors into the uh, building these foundations of a, of a non-dollar energy market system, which probably is going to be gold-based. And, and, you know, Russia has also, I think you said that earlier, John, to, to, to like add injury to, to this insult. Uh, to, they have demanded payments for gas uh, in rubles, for gas purchases only from unfriendly states, you know. And I mean, both of the, I, I think this is a really important situation that has not gone reported in mainstream media at all, because, I mean, this is a kind of indirect 
attack on the petrodollar system and and the 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 status the the reserve status of the dollar you know and i, I think this is uh, this effectively means that that nato can't really back down in the ukraine situation i think the ukraine situation is now as close as you can get to this this oil currency war situation and I, I don't think the West is going to have the option to quit until this threat of de-dollarization is properly dealt with, because, you know, the West doesn't really have the requisite resources for its, its economies. I mean, we don't manufacture anything anymore. We, we, we depend on these, uh, these exploitative neocolonial arrangements, which to a great extent are propped up by the dollar's reserve currency status, and that's now under threat. Well, I mean, I just this, and then I know Corey wants to to say something. Um, all you guys, do I see all these blue hands jumping up? Um, no, I think I think we are seeing in general, um, in the West, you know, primarily the United States, but also the NATO countries, the EU, uh, uh, a revanchist fascist tendency that's just coming into the open now. And it's white supremacist as well. It's colonial, neo-colonial, uh, because there are very subtle cues in in the discourse from from media, news outlets, celebrities, influencers, all of these people. Little clues that are dropped all the time to rehabilitate colonialism, rehabilitate fascism, rehabilitate Hitler and the right, Mussolini. Uh, you, I see it, and but it's never exactly overt. They're just little breadcrumbs that I think the youth market, the youth demographic, is is the target audience for these breadcrumbs, and they follow them, and end up with, you know, the, it, at least neo-fascist uh, uh, political beliefs at the end of it, and. Um, but this is, as I say, I think a, an enormously complicated discussion. Uh, Corey? I just wanted to add, like in the discussion on climate versus um, pandemic narrative, just how most people can't display, can't buy a Tesla, right? And drive that mm -hmm. and display sort of their allegiance, but you can display, most people can display a mask, right? And all the, um, you know, all the I've seen masks made out of Ukrainian flags to yellow and blue masks, oh, yeah. which is really hysterical. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, adding to um, Johan, um, a NPR article, I think from five days ago, just talking about how um, Russia's currency is the top performing currency in March in the world. Mm. So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, Varun, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to add the last time uh, internationally when there was a movement to move against the US dollar, which was going to be with a unified gold-backed currency. Mm. All the nations that were going to be involved in that have been bombed to death completely by NATO, essentially. Yeah. And so that's something that we look out for, I think, to, to see yeah. what kind of agenda is at play right now. Well, that Gaddafi wanted a pan-African currency, right? What, what happened to Libya's gold? <laughs> yeah, what happened to Yugoslavia's gold? What happened to all this gold? Um, anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, this is 
this is U.S. NATO piracy, and and uh, it's it's less and less disguised. I mean, the rhetoric of democracy, the rhetoric of spreading democracy and human rights, <clears throat> is so um, threadbare at this point. Is has been so shredded by by historical fact, evidence, you know, uh, national security archives, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that it's barely employed anymore by, by you know, uh, the White House and State Department and so forth in the U.S., by Downing Street, uh, any of the spokespeople for any of these leading actors. It's simply not even employed. They don't even pretend to be interested in spreading democracy occasionally you will talk you know they will say if you back ukraine because you, we have to you know the freedom they're fighting for our freedom which doesn't even track it doesn't even scan it doesn't even make sense remarks like that but that's about all you get um mostly it's it's i think i think the war narrative is simply more titillating you know it's more stimulating than an abstract climate emergency that's posited to happen in the future the war is happening now you know that's a lot it's a hot war there are dead bodies it's like a tv show and um uh i think it grabs people's you know attention a, a good deal more um Corey, yeah oh no i don't have anything sorry okay Oh, yeah, but I just wanted to add, I mean, this is a mo much more, uh, much clearer and much more available enemy image you're, you're dealing with here in comparison to either COVID or climate change. But I think you also need to factor in, John, that, I mean, much of the West really, really loves the, the image of, of America, US imperialism and NATO. I mean, I grew up with watching, you know, Top Gun and with the aesthetics of, of U.S. military aggression to a, a, an extent that I don't think you really can imagine. I mean, right. we, when we were kids, we, we pretended to be like U.S. Air Force pilots and all of that. So, so it, it's really deeply rooted in a sense. Um, yeah, no, no. I think I think um, I think that's a, a, a well-established kind of indelible uh, uh, uh marketing trope as it were i mean the the u.s gunfighter nation uh is is um a, a you know tested motif that is employed all the time and i mean george bush was called a cowboy ronald reagan was called a cowboy they can't do that with biden because he's a doddering old fool but they'll try they'll find some substitute you know colin powell for a while was like you know the the great black gunfighter or something um until he so thoroughly embarrassed himself that 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 didn't didn't hold but but you know it's interesting also if you if if we stay with a, a kind of the semiotics of 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 the the political propaganda uh there is a strange orientalism at work i think that america in general the the Madison Avenue, the propagandist apparatus, doesn't quite know what to do with China. Partly because I think they're they're entrenched in in trade and supply routes and all of this stuff to a degree that maybe most people don't recognize. But but that that Orientalist, um, 
you know, phobia, racism has has been, been transferred to Russia. Russia is a is a substitute orient now. I mean, in the same way the Bolsheviks were a, a threat from the east. Uh, it was Jewish, but it was Slavic, but it was Oriental as well. It's a, the, the mysterious land of despots or something, and it's spreading disease and it's coming to get you. Um, and that's that's what we're seeing again and again. And I think that, um, I mean, there's so many funny sidebars that it was Israel was trying to be a peace broker. This is just like one of those death of irony moments, right? Like Saudi Arabia being on the Human Rights Council of the UN. It's just funny at a certain point. But the U.S. picked this government that would play in the West. Zelensky is a stand-up comic. He will play. He already owns a house in Florida. He will be a late-night talk show host eventually. He will have a book tour. That's his that's his future. And so, you know, he just has to, he just has to walk off his term here um, and, and, you know, deal with photo ops with Ursula Vanderlei. And I noticed made a trip to Ukraine. You can't make this shit up. Uh, and so, and so that's, I think that's what's happening, but there is a bit of a confusion uh, uh, about China, about what to do with, with China. Anyway, that was like a, a sort of sidebar observation about how this stuff is being marketed. Um, so I don't know, uh, uh, do, 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 does anyone have predictive uh, comments here about uh, what, what we can look forward to? out of all of this in the coming weeks or years beyond yeah johan yeah to, to just echo what varun said i mean russia has now done what Gaddafi and Saddam attempted to do and, and i mean we all know how that uh did i lose you yeah yeah i just also i just saw this article uh relating to jan stoltenberg and uh, NATO's announcements that uh, we, the NATO is going to begin engaging in the Asia-Pacific region, both practically and politically in light of beings growing influence and coercion and its unwillingness to condemn Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So, I mean, there's a, an interesting development to keep an eye on. Yeah, interesting. Varun? Yeah, I think... Um... Looking at how the inflation is working, at least in the Asian region, I think eventually there's going to be a pretty terrible crash and there is definitely going to be vast amounts of food shortages and a lot of violence that's going to take place over the next few years. I think that's what it's looking like. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think social unrest in, in the global south is, is a given uh, at this point. And... and Maybe that was the intention. I don't know. Um, it's you know this is this is the great reset thing again. I mean, as not wanting to sound completely paranoid and and sprung, but uh, you know, depopulation is a real issue for these people. I mean, they these people, Bill Gates, you know, the Klaus Schwab the people of the British royal family, the people behind a lot of the, the reset and, and green capitalism and so forth, the, the people that 
write the ad copy for Greta Thunberg, all of depopulation is real to them. They see this as a good thing. And when they think depopulation, they mean dark skinned people in the global yeah. South. They do not mean Vermont or Scotland or something. They mean Africa, um, largely and Asia. Uh, and, and so something is, something is afoot with all of that. Hiroyuki? This, I just, can I just quickly add something once? Yes, I think please. There, there's also just this element where I've noticed the aggression with which official economy is being installed within India. Because a lot of the economy was unofficially working. It was people dependent on people, not institutions and not, not international monetary funds and so on. And that is, I think the agenda is to have people break down the social fabric in a way where everybody's only dependent on the establishment. I think Absolutely. that's That's really important. I want to comment on that. Hiroyuki? Uh, yes, and I was going to say something else, but the Varun, uh, I think that's, uh, uh, that, that, that sounds uh, about right. Um, I think the same thing has been happening to other Asian countries that happened to Japan in the 90s. Um, so it's, uh, uh, yeah, that's uh, uh, the trajectory that we've been uh, observing. And uh, also uh, what uh, um, John said about uh, the uh, uh, normalization of the uh, fascism, I, I think that's totally uh, uh, necessary step uh, if we look at the, uh, the fact that the uh, things needs to be in control and uh, people have been paralyzed by those opposing uh, narratives and uh, divisions and uh, they would want something strong farm uh, that's going to dictate um, their psyche and uh, it's not going to be communism or socialism it has to be some sort of reactionary um, momentum so i think it totally makes sense that we're seeing all these uh, uh, efforts in uh, rehabilitation of uh, nazism and uh, fascism and all those things you know the the um <coughs> just apropos of varun's comment um I think it's useful to remember that uh, as sophisticated as this Western propaganda apparatus is, government and civilian, the Madison Avenue as well as the State Department, as sophisticated and often, if not usually very effective, they are in, in creating, manufacturing certain beliefs and stuff in, in the populace at large. Uh, they are delusional as well. And they are also, I think, increasingly out of touch with reality, a lot of these people. And what made me, what reminded me of this is that I think that what Varun was talking about, people's dependency on institutional um, control of their money and, and, you know, that authority would grant them this or that so that they were able to live and feed their family. Just that is coming, universal basic income, all the rest of it, that's coming. But I think that it's going to not work nearly as well as, as the people who built that apparatus believe that it will, that the, that the ruling class believes it will be um, effective. Now, maybe they don't care. 
if billions of people die, that could be part of the depopulation agenda. I don't know. But I think even in areas, um, demographics that, that they intend to, um, that, that they count as important, these measures are not going to work. The technology is going to break down. I can't keep everybody online in this fucking Zoom conference, you know? Yeah. What are they going to do with like 2 billion people? Um, California, you know, <clears throat> can't get uh, issued driver's licenses in any kind of way that that is mistake free. The mistakes are in the hundreds of thousands on a weekly basis. Um, pick any in huge institution you want. The technology uh, breaks down and and uh, it 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 is not this for all of these spokespeople talking about transhumanism and the merger of machine and mind all of this horseshit doesn't work it hasn't worked it's not going to work uh it is going to be fraught with mistakes something that works in um a laboratory that is clean and quiet and controlled is not going to work <clears throat> on the streets of Dhaka or, or, or Lagos or Sao Paulo. It's not. It's not even going to work on the streets of Los Angeles or Denver or, or Toronto. Uh, and, and this is what I think the, the ruling class is delusional about because they aren't on those streets. They haven't been on those streets for decades and decades and decades. Do you remember George Bush senior didn't, was it senior or junior? I forget senior. I think didn't know what a barcode was when he did a photo op at a supermarket because he had never bought his own food. That's how out of touch they are. That was 25 years ago. They are more out of touch now. Um, Johan. Yeah, I mean, even if the tech worked perfectly, I mean, we're in an energy crisis now and digitalization doesn't really sit very well with, with you know, energy outages and shortages. I just, just want to add to what Varun said as well, because I, I think that the US Fed is going to be forced to raise interest rates to face this, uh, this immense inflationary pressure. And I have a difficult time seeing that this is not going to cause a recession through a liquidity, uh, through loss of liquidity in the banking system. And that's going to mean an, a horrible impact on global trade. It's going to mean starvation and actual actual shortages, whether or not it's it's a it's a considered depopulation. This is going to kill lots of people. Yeah, yeah. Um, nobody's coming to rescue the Congo, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. So. Um, there, nobody's going to rescue Ethiopia. There, that's that's just not going to happen. Uh, it, you know, you have to look at the racism again as well. We've said all of this before, but Poland turned away refugees from Syria, Afghanistan, um, Central Africa at gunpoint, uh, and yet they are welcoming in white Ukrainians. Now, part of the reason is, of course, beyond the inherent racism of the Polish state, uh, this is what the U.S. told them to do. Remember, these are lapdog client states. Most of the EU are client states for the U.S. Anyway, maybe that's my last thought. Anybody have any final remarks, Varun? 
Yeah, I was just going to say what you were saying about the Congo. I think <clears throat> that's basically what Corey has been deconstructing is how um, the energy establishment is posing itself as the savior for the places that have been mined to complete hell yeah. by changing the, the things that they're going to mine now. So they're not going to yeah. mine coal anymore. They're going to mine lithium and cobalt and so on and so forth for the Tesla batteries that they want every single household on this planet to have. Yeah. And they've yeah. already started deep sea fracking. All of that shit is already on. And yeah. I don't understand how people are not talking about all of this, to be honest. Right. Well, because they, you know, because they manufacture distractions, right? Some of them are in the metaverse and some are wearing blue and yellow masks and on and on and on the great, the great distraction. Uh, you know, Hiroyuki. Oh, I, I just realized that the, um, um, uh, there was this uh, the video that Ar Arnold Schwarzenegger was putting out, uh, basically asking uh, uh, to support Ukraine. And it was addressed to the uh, Russian people, I guess. And, oh, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. And uh, there was a letter by uh, a weightlifter, a young uh, female weightlifter addressed to him. Uh, and she happened to be an activist of uh, some kind, she would uh, go to uh, schools in uh, Donbas, um, uh, encouraging children and um, uh, spreading awards about the, uh, the Ukrainian sharings um, that's been going on for eight years. And uh, so um, she's been working to um, talk about those uh, pride of the, uh, the people in Donbas. And basically she was saying that, um, uh, um, she is asking uh, uh, the Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> uh, to help her because she was a big fan of um, him as a weightlifter. And um, uh, she's met him a couple of times. And uh, at some point, she gave him uh, letters from uh, uh, Dumba's kids asking to help them because he's a terminator you know and um this this totally shows the uh, the strength of the cultural uh, imperialism um which uh johan was talking about um you know we are all affected by this uh everyone on the planet and uh, it, it, you know it was a very very strong letter um the illustrating the fact that the people in Donbass have been dying and the children have been suffering. They've been living uh, uh, in the basements. Um, and uh, well, you know, it's, you know. It, yeah, no, I mean, but that is the cultural imperialism is, is a huge thing and, and, and an enormous factor in all of this. And um, uh, I think, you know, and maybe next time we'll dig into this more uh, the, the, cause we've talked a lot about, cognitive decline in the West uh, that teenagers and, and um, preteens uh, increasingly suffer ADHD and, and all kinds of, they're on the autism spectrum in some way or other, they have all kinds of attention uh, issues and, and hyperactivity and so forth and really young kids. Uh, and now they're masking them in some places. And I know Corey mentioned schools closing in Toronto because there's not enough teachers because they refuse to teach kids that aren't masked. 
uh, but I'm digressing. The 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 issue starts becoming uh, uh, how one frees oneself from kind of the the tyranny of the smartphone and 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 this internet because we're dependent on it because we do things like podcasts. It's how we communicate with each other. Uh, I can't even remember life before the internet. I mean, I can, but but it it feels like a very long time ago and I'm a habitual user of it. And yet I know there are problems with this usage and in some way or other uh, it, it's what's destroying the world. It's not a good thing. And I sound like a Luddite with that, but uh, uh, people need to go back and read books and, and stop sitting in front of screens um, and I say that knowing that I'm going to probably sit in front of a screen the rest of the day as well, because I'm working on a post. Um, so I don't know. But, but you know, uh, so much of this is being played out on screens. All of the things we're talking about, propaganda and, and, and the Great Reset and, and the climate discourse and all of it. And it's a distorting medium. The internet distorts reality, and it's very hard for us to know to what degree um, it's being distorted. I certainly can't say that I know with any confidence. So, all right, uh, I guess that's it. Uh, thank you, Corey, Hiroyuki, Varun, Johan, unless there's any final thoughts. Well, I, I just, uh, um, you know, I was really moved by the letter I was just talking about. And um, it, it's one of the examples that, that shows that anyone who is serious about anything can see through the fact that something is off. And uh, from the perspective of pursuing that something. And uh, so, you know, this this is something we, we can think about, you know, if you have something uh, you're serious about uh, in your life, um, you will come to a place where you're going to collide with the authority. Yeah. Because what they're doing is not fair. What they're doing is inefficient. What they're doing is inhumane. And if you want to pursue what you want to pursue, you're going to collide. So, right. you know, it, um, well, yeah, go ahead, sir. So, you, you know, it, it, um, I guess the, the, the big momentum is that we're being harder to uh, abandon those things and work for big corporations. That's one of the things that's going on, uh, relying on um, uh, the momentum dynamics of the, uh, uh, the big machines instead of relying on the um, uh, real um, organic relationship with we have uh, with each other like Valoon was saying that's being destroyed and this is this has been the huge momentum and uh, we've been really infected by uh, this even before the internet because you know just like uh, those uh, Hollywood industry has been indoctrinating us um, in so many ways well all of those all of those institutions, platforms, mediums, whether it's Hollywood, the entertainment, the culture industry that Adorno and Horkheimer talked about, or, you know, post-internet platforms, media, electronic media. I mean, that's why I think Jonathan Beller's books are very important because he, he traces back 
technology and and its intersection with colonialism and and imperialism in the 19th century and and that stuff is important to understand and i think that's where people should should focus their studies because um you know Corey mentioned the homeless my god in the united states you go to any major city the levels of homelessness are staggering i don't yeah. know i'm out of adjectives for this but staggering levels of homelessness those people are not watching screens those people don't have smartphones most of them they are living day to day many of them are with their children with families uh people are increasingly desperate in increasingly large numbers but they are invisible on the evening news um maybe there will be a tiny special report but they are not visible and people tend to forget they are there and well until they drive through a homeless encampment but uh but at some point they it will be impossible to make them invisible i guess is my point corey sort of uh, wrapping up what you were talking about john i feel and you know sometimes lately especially in the past year i've said to you guys privately you know on telegram how fucked up i feel and how i feel paralyzed and how i'm unable to write even though i've had so much knowledge and and i feel i've had a lot of insight from the beginning of the um said pandemic into what was going to happen just from writing about it for the years um up to that point and it's hard to, I'm sort of weighing it here, hard to articulate, but I mean, I've even had this um, physical reaction lately to being online. I like, that's why I, again, had to take a physical break from the computer. You know, do I want to spend the last, you know, the final last, you know, years of my life, however long that is, it tied to this device that I actually hate. And I, I feel like my body is actually re reacting to it. I've ruined my eyesight. You know, I start to work, my back hurts all of a sudden. It's like, you know, I know it's so unhealthy for me. And then I'm giving up my, my natural relationship with the world, like real things, you know, and, and I do remember what life was like before the computer. And I often think, what would we all be doing if we weren't like tied to these devices? And I see youth, you know, I heard Whitney Webb talking about this the other day, the youth get together and together they are communicating through their devices to each other rather than speaking to each other. Right. So yeah. the yeah. tech has really taken over our lives and, you know, it's going to become, it's incredible to talk about climate change and at the same time going to a digitized world because we do not have the energy to do this. Right. No, no. right. <clears throat> this is, don't this have is the energy. The, this mm -hmm. is the reality. Not only do we not have, we, the energy not only is the energy insufficient um the technology uh is is over its efficiency is greatly exaggerated um in any any particular field uh you want the the it doesn't work i keep saying this over and over and over but if you look at your daily life read any article on on you know um technological breakthroughs in in ai or transhumanism or you know mind uh machine John, like it's not the primary word is could that's the word that's always used this could be coming to you soon this could be a because none of it is yet i'm sorry yeah go on 
but I just like, this is not making that this, um, you know, the past 10 years writing, being online, researching all this work and everything, like this has not made my life richer. This has not made my family life better. This, all this um, access to, I admit, you know, obviously it's great in many ways, the access to information, right? On um, being able to, you know, quote unquote, meet people and that. But overall, I, I think um, this whole move to digitized world does not make us happier. It makes us more miserable, right? It makes us unhealthier in so many different ways, mentally and physically. Well, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I'm interrupting everybody today. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go on. on. I I just don't really know. I I have so many questions. I keep thinking I know less than instead of more, right? Like I feel really fucked up. And then I think, you know, I've been thinking, I think I have post-traumatic stress disorder. Like, I don't know if I have it and I don't care to be clinically analyzed. It doesn't matter one way or another, whether someone says I have it or not. Um, but I, I feel like I, like I do. And then, you know, last night I started making a list in my head of all the things that have happened in my, in my life into my family over the past two years and what I've witnessed even on a global stage you know, not just in my community, but globally. And I started making this list. I'm like, wow, like, no wonder I feel so fucked up. Like that is fucked up. This life is fucked up. This Western culture is fucked. Right. And um, I'm almost now scared to make that list because wow, I, that is really damaging what I've gone through. And so how many of our listeners have gone through similar experiences like that? How many people in the world have gone through a hundred times worse than what I've gone through? You know, so many people have lost um, loved ones to suicide and mental anguish and all kinds of other things, um, death and everything else. And I don't know, I'm just sort of, like I said, I, I have so many more questions and just where are we headed? It's not, it's not towards a, a society built on beauty and love and compassion and community all all these all the very very best things that that bring joy are are disappearing and being deliberately demolished yeah well i we're being being stuck here right we're all being roped into it more yeah, I'm sorry. That time it wasn't my fault. Um, you you cut out for go a second. Yeah. Um, no, I see, uh, Varun. Everybody wants to make a comment. Um, I will just say that I I think it is important to distinguish um, that nothing is neutral. Nothing is static. The world has changed. The forces of capital, the alienation, reification, all of these you know, the, the, the movement of, of, of wealth, the transference of wealth to the top 1% has accelerated greatly. It has created greater inequality in our lifetimes to an unimaginable degree. Those things are, are affecting everybody. That's part of the traumatizing of humanity. What we do, our study and research and what we write matters, I would like to think, because if I didn't believe that, I would probably cut my throat. But um, I mean, I wouldn't because I wouldn't do that to my children, but I would feel like doing it. Uh, But I think it does matter. It's just that other things are going on um, at an ever accelerated pace 
that alienate people, that estrange people from the environment, from nature, from, because I agree with, I mean, I remember when I was a boy, this going to the market, hanging out on street corners, talking to people. It was a friendlier, kinder world in which there were established social traditions, however um, corrupted they had been um, for a hundred years, still existed. Today, they don't exist. Yeah. It is absolute, absolute alienation today. People are isolated, atomized, lonely, and afraid, and it's not their fault. That's the reality. Um, Varun, and then Hiroyuki. Yeah, um, I've been reading a lot of text about uh, narcissism and sociopathy and psychopathy, and a lot of the well, a lot of the doctors that have written extensively about this, they point out that the grinding down of agency and will of the victim in relationships to psychopaths is the primary motive so that the victim can be fully taken advantage of. And I think that is something that is all pervasive in this kind of industrial living that we have, that we are living through. And yeah. the collective trauma has grinded down the collective will of the people. And this is not, I think, by chance, but this is a choice that has been made by the establishment to do it. I agree. Um, uh, absolutely. Hiroyuki? Yeah, I think that's, uh, that makes total sense. And, um, um, and I totally agree with uh, Corey's uh, notion of... Um, 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 traumatic syndrome um i think we're getting uh, some sort of uh um psychological uh condition and uh, it's manifesting in many ways and um i mean you know you look at what Corey has done in terms of research and uh, um uh informing people about uh what's going on um it, it's just tremendous and uh if uh she was doing this on different topic, going along with the uh, establishment. She probably had made a fortune in a big corporation, big uh, corporate network. Uh, but that's not happening. You know, you are only uh, discouraged and punished and alienated. And same thing can be said, of course, about John. I mean, you know. Those blog posts are tremendous, you know, over and over, uh, totally delineating the uh, the what the nature, what the real nature of the empire is, and uh, what what structure of exploitation does to the people um, physically and mentally, and uh, it's a tremendous resource in learning about things. And if something like that was provided by big institution it in in a way uh, that could be constructive and contributing to the uh, communities uh, John would have been doing very well um, <laughs> <laughs> no you know, but you know something happen. but but that's really important because I remember somewhere in my lifetime we're talking about thinking about I remember the point and it was in the 70s I'm you know over the course of that decade, maybe even a little bit earlier, the end of the Vietnam War, certainly it accelerated, but it was the bureaucratization of, of art, of culture, 
it was the eliminate and johan and i have talked about this endlessly the, the destruction of countercultures uh has had a profound and debilitating effect on people and but i remember when i was looking for teaching jobs at theater departments. Here I was at the time, an extraordinarily acclaimed playwright. I had hit plays or something, but it was still considered like slightly dangerous, weird work I was doing. But I still had, you know, multiple awards, a Rockefeller Fellowship. I think I ended up getting four NEA um, grants over the course of my life, um, which might be a record. But anyway, the uh, I couldn't get a, I couldn't get arrested, you know, I, could, I mean, any I went to any of these these podunk schools. I mean, I was going to like the you know anywhere with applications, and they no, 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 we're not. And I thought, why is why am I not hireable? Why is Murray Mednick not teaching at um, a, a university theater program? No, what they were hiring, who they were hiring, were bureaucrats, and that was the beginning of that credentialed bureaucrats um, that would teach a certain thing in a certain way and and keep a lid on dissent and make sure the counterculture didn't get a foothold into that particular university. I mean, that really was exactly what was going on. And it has just gotten worse now. It's laughably bad um, at this point. But this took place throughout society, not just in academia. Uh, it, it was the destruction of the human in Western society, I think. And it, and it has had a terrible effect on people's mental health. Um, internet, internet is very good at that. Internet. Yeah, you know, yeah. Well, yeah. look at the internet foments lynch mobs. Look at how right, smeared right. Corey has been, how smeared I have been. Um, I see the derangement syndrome in people who have in the past, you know, I not to, you know, Stephen Gowans, I wrote, I was asked by Gowans book publisher to write a review. I wrote a review for him because I thought his book on Israel was very good. Um, and I have admired his work on North Korea. I think he's now lost his mind or he's drinking. I don't know. But, but he's smearing people like Vanessa Bealy and Eve Bartlett and so forth for no reason. And, but I think this is the nature of the internet. It creates it creates this this shit show of of resentment and hostility and if people are just triggered every time they sit down on twitter or wherever it is um johan yeah i wasn't going to i wasn't going to read this but i have a, a short um, poem and mashup i could do for you <laughs> okay <laughs> It's, yeah, it's I think Ginsburg. we're running long here, so maybe we... Yeah, this is kind of brief. So it's, it's Ginsburg, T.S. Eliot, and a bit from Robert Frost, actually. So I'll just do it. This is the way the world ends. Oh, sorry, spangled shock of mercy, the eternal war is here. I'm with you in Rockland, between the woods and frozen lake, the darkest evening of the year. In my dreams... You walk dripping from a sea journey on the highway across America in tears to the door of my cottage in the western night. I'm with you in Rockland. And who's to say where the harvest shall stop? That's, it. That's great. We should do more poetry. You know, I, I posted, I was thinking of two poems last night, short poem. One was a haiku by Basho. I put it on Facebook, actually. And the other was was um, that poem, Drive, he said. 
I bet I can Google it and find it in about a hot second. Hold on. Uh, maybe I will read that. Um, uh, and that is, yeah, Robert Creeley. The title of the poem is actually A Man I Know. This is very short. I'm just going to read it because we're, we're just free associating here. A man, I know a man, I'm sorry, beg your pardon. I know a man by Robert Creeley. As I said to my friend, because I am always talking, John, I said, which was not his name, the darkness surrounds us. What can we do against it? Or else shall we and why not buy a goddamn big car? Drive, he said, for Christ's sake. Look out where you're going. I like that. And I will just then finish with my favorite haiku of Basho's, um, which is year after year on the monkey's face, a monkey's face. All right. Final, very final thoughts, Hiroyuki. I'm okay. I'm, I'm going to just digest the whole thing. It's It's been very, very, uh, uh, it's been great. Great. Thank you so much, John. Oh, thank you guys. This was actually pretty fun. I think we had pent up something. <laughs> All right, Corey, thank you. Varun, thank you. Johan, thank you. And um, Jack Littman, thank you as always. And we'll cue the... Uh, soundtrack uh, later. Okay, bye guys. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Bye.